It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, March 8th, 2015. The regular season is over and Duke is headed into the postseason. We're doing a special episode this week. We're kind of breaking it up into two parts. Our first part is going to be with our regular crew. I am your host this week, Sam Klein, and I'm here with my usual colleagues, Donald Wine and Jason Evans. Good morning, guys. Hey, what's up? Hello from beautiful New Orleans. Ooh, lovely. And uh, because Jason is in New Orleans and, and has more important family things to do, like all of the fun things that he's doing in New Orleans, he will be leaving us in a little bit and we will be replacing him uh, with Laura Keeley, the Duke beat reporter for the Raleigh News and Observer. This will be her second time on the podcast. And we're going to ask her some questions kind of about Duke and the ACC and sort of what she's seen this year and, and what she sees going forward. Um, and, and this is a huge, huge upgrade from me. Yeah, well, I, I didn't want to say it. Um, but we'll uh, we'll start this week with the with the regular guys. Um, there were obviously two Duke games this week. They were two really nice wins. The first was a blowout against Wake Forest. The second, and the one that I'm going to start with, and probably the more exciting one uh, in general for Duke fans, was um, an 84 to 77 victory at the Dean E. Smith Center against North Carolina. Duke swept the regular season. Uh, I'll start with Jason. What did you like about the game last night against Carolina? You know, when we came into this game last week, when we were previewing it, uh, we all said rebounding, rebounding, rebounding had to be a big rebounding day for Duke to have uh, to, to stay 
you know, really close with Carolina and, and be able to win this game because we were so afraid that they would destroy us on the boards as they have done. Aside from oh, about a five-minute stretch or so in the uh, late, late, late in the first half when, when it felt like there were nine Carolina guys rebounding at the same time, um, especially on the offensive rebounding end, uh, Duke did a phenomenal job on the boards. And, and to me, that that's the biggest takeaway. Uh, was the amount of effort that we put into our work um, on the inside and on the boards. We, we tied Carolina in total rebounds at 32, but uh, we won the offensive rebounding battle. We got 14. They only got 11. We've talked on this podcast about Carolina's propensity to grab their own misses. They usually get mid-40 percentages, mid-40s percent of their, off, of their miss shots as offensive rebounds. Yesterday, they only had 11 on 30 missed shots. That's 36%. So we held them well below what they usually do. Duke actually got 14 offensive rebounds on 32 missed shots. That's 42%. So we were better by a fairly significant margin at offensive rebounding than Carolina was. I, I just I, I didn't expect to see that. And, and uh, you know, that one stat to me tells that Duke won the game. Uh, the other thing that really jumped out at me uh, Emil Jefferson in the half court trap. Um, and Jay Billis talked about it a lot in the, on the broadcast. So anyone who watched it on ESPN is going to go, Jason stealing what Jay's saying. But I, I, I just want to let you know what I saw um, from Duke from a strategic standpoint of making the conscious decision we're not going to let Carolina run the ball up the court. We're going to slow them down. We're going to put the ball in the hands of guys who don't want the ball in their hands. I mean, look, how many times did we see Joel James and Kennedy Meeks bringing the ball up court? It was a nightmare for Carolina, uh, and and it wasn't that Duke got a lot of turnovers out of it. We got one 10-second call. I think there may have been one or two other uh, moments where we got turnovers perhaps, but for the most part, it was just Carolina getting out of their comfort zone, having trouble getting into their offensive sets, not having the ball in the hands of the guys they wanted it to. Uh, I mean, look, Marcus Page had probably his best game of the whole season, but he only got five assists and he had three turnovers. I mean – he didn't create things for the other guys the way he often does, and to me that was the chance. That was the that was the story of the game. And then the last thing I want to bring up, and then I'll let you guys talk about it. Um, I, I think all three of us said that we expected the game changing run to come with Jalil, Tyus, and Justice on the bench, right, guys? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! How how how, how, are, how do we know it? How do we know? Yeah, I, no one, no one on earth saw that coming. When those three guys went to the bench, I think we all just prayed that Duke would not get destroyed for the next couple minutes while Jalil was resting and while Tyus got his back fixed. And instead, Duke took the lead on an incredible step back three for, for Matt Jones off a beautiful offensive rebound by, by MP3, by Marshall Plumley. Um, and then Grayson Allen hit a three a few moments later. Uh, and, and suddenly we were off to the races. We had a lead we would never relinquish. Um, uh, it, it says so much the way the bench guys were able to help us and contribute, uh, which is something we haven't had a lot this year. So, all right, I've ranted enough. Donald, give me your give me your takeaways. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Jason kept harping on the rebounds, and I, I want to touch on it again. We matched their rebounds, 32 to 32, and, and that was probably the one word I said the most about uh, uh, the UNC game on our last podcast. I probably said the word rebound about 11 billion times, um, and that was really the difference. We, we wanted to – we really keyed in on that, and, and you know, Tyus had six boards uh, on the defensive end. He would get – seemed like in the first half he was getting every rebound on the defensive end. And on the offensive end, you know, Winslow wasn't getting all the offensive rebounds, but he was going after every single missed shot uh, on the offensive end. I think the real key was turnovers. We only had 10. Uh, UNC had 16. 
And it wasn't that we got a lot of uh, points off of turnovers or points in the transition. It was really that those turnovers stopped a lot of UNC's momentum when they had, you know, every effort to try and get back into the game in the second half. Um, and even with the, you know, the, the nine, nine minutes and 53 seconds that we went without a field goal in the first half, it was the turnovers that stopped uh, some, some drives that would uh, probably put the game into a, a, a different dimension um, of, 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 of a deficit. And we're only down two at the half. So I think those turnovers came at very key times. Um, we were able to take care of the basketball for the most part. And I think those were the, the two differences in the game. Yeah, I, uh, I wanted to go back to Jason talking about Emil Jefferson. Um, for the last few weeks, you know, we've been saying, what's kind of happening to Emil Jefferson? He's losing minutes. It, it, doesn't, seem like, it doesn't seem like Coach K trusts him anymore, you know, in, in sort of high leverage areas. And boom, last night he plays 30 minutes and he's the key to the defense against, you know, one of the best opponents that, that we're going to see in the regular season. Um, and five so, offensive rebounds. Five offensive rebounds. And five offensive rebounds. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a really great performance for him. Obviously, he didn't score very much. He only had three points, um, but he was very effective. He played what we, you know, I think what we like to call the Lance Thomas role really well, um, you know, keying up on defense and, and using his, his length to, to disrupt what's going on in the, in the UNC backcourt. Um, so I, I was really happy about that. And you guys didn't even touch on the, on the great offensive performance we saw from Tyus Jones. Down the stretch, uh, he made a bunch of really, really great shots. He, he made all of his free throws, 12, 12 attempts and, and 12 makes um, from the charity stripe. He had seven assists yesterday. He had six rebounds. Recently, Tyus Jones has been filling up the stat sheet, um, probably unlike uh, any recent Duke freshman that we've seen. Um, we've obviously been talking on the on the boards a lot about how he's about how he's comparing to other um, historical um, Duke freshman point guards, and and you know to see his maturity in this game. Obviously, he was the key down the stretch uh, against UNC and Cameron, and then once again here at the Smith Center. Uh, so I, I think that Tyus Jones had an unbelievable game, and and especially because he was you know down on the sideline for a couple minutes there with with the back spasms or whatever it is that was going on, it looked like he was in a lot of pain, and he came right back, um, was still effective, was still playing well. I just hope that he's healthy moving forward because um, we need we need him and we need Quinn Cook to be playing you know over thirty five minutes a game to be executing the offense that that we want. Um, Jason, did you have anything to add from from what Donald and I had about UNC? No, I'll, I'll, you're right on the money with Tyus. I mean, he only led the team in in rebounds, uh, assists, steals, um, points, uh, and and he was 12 for 12 at the free throw line. I mean, yeah, it was an okay game. Oh, and he, he had one turnover. The kid was incredible. He was the best player on the floor. There's there's absolutely no question about that. Um, and uh, and in the post game, ESPN talked a bit about. Um, this notion that's cropped up in recent weeks that Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook are the best backcourt in the country. Um, I'd love to see the other contenders because I ain't seen anyone close to them lately. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, he had a, another fabulous, fabulous game. Uh, you know, on a day when he's playing against Marcus Page, who's probably the second best point guard in the ACC, you know, uh, Jerry and Grant, there are a couple other guys who are in that conversation. Um but, uh, but Tyus, you know, against the top-level competition on the big stage and the big games, he has consistently again and again and again shown um, that he is well beyond his years. He ain't, he's not a freshman. He's just not a freshman. He, he feels like a, a senior. And um, uh, I just hope we get to, to see him play his sophomore year, please, I hope, Tyus. Uh, one more thing I, I wanted to ask you guys. What do you think about Roy Williams putting in his 
his walk-on seniors to start senior night at the at the Smith Center. They always do that. Always. I know they do, but what do you think about it? <laughs> I think it's fine. I think it's actually really cool. You know, I uh, it, it kind of brings me back to when I was a senior in high school. I was that walk-on. I was I was the kid that was at the you know playing at the end of the bench, and it was cool to hear your name called on senior night and start. Um, now it wasn't against our arch rivals, but it was you know it's it's a good moment for them for those players who have been on you know been in the program for four years to be a part and and have their name called at the at the Dean Smith Center or at Cameron or who or wherever your senior night is. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Look, they do every other year. Every other year, their final um, home game is against Duke. And every other year, we see this exact same thing. And they, um, you know, whether it's walk-ons or, or whether it's guys who, who are actually scholarship players, um, they, they put their seniors in. They usually play them the first couple, few minutes, whatever it may be. And they I, every year, I think, oh, this is going to be – maybe this will be the difference. Duke will have a four-point lead or a five-point lead. And, uh, you know, when the game comes down to the end, we'll go, oh, we can look back on those first couple minutes when Carolina gave us some points, you know, with lesser talented players. But those guys come in and they play their butts off. They just play with 150% effort, and I'm yet to recall a game. And look, I've been watching the Duke-Carolina game for 35, 40-plus years because I grew up with this rivalry. Uh, I'm yet to recall a game where I went, you know what? Those first two minutes with that senior walk-on, that was the difference. So, yeah, of course do it. It's it's a nice thing. Okay. I'm, I'm glad. Um, Donald, did you did, have you any— Do you disagree or something? No, I, I, I just think it's weird that, that they do it in such an important game. Um, and that yes, obviously the you know if they if they come out after a minute or two and and UNC is up, then you can say well you know that's that's what it is and and it didn't hurt them. But it's still just I, I don't know I I it, I feel like it would frustrate excuse excuse me frustrate me more if I was a UNC fan um, because I would just be like this this game seems like it's really important to the fan base and they're all riled up um, and then they're not putting in the best players. But at the same time, I understand that you know guys put a lot of effort into being uh to being seniors in the program who don't get to play much and and they deserve their spotlight um because they've stuck with it you know i like to tell them you know they're those guys work really hard and and i i know guys who walked onto teams at duke and and it's a struggle to to stay focused and and to stay into it when you know that you're not getting to play in the games even though you're still working hard in practice so i i get it on some level but it also i don't know i feel like it would bother me if if my team was doing it you know what a few years ago um Duke's final home game was against Wake Forest. Chris Paul was there, and and someone's going to probably call me, you know, take me to task for remembering it wrong. But I swear, I think Patrick Davidson started the game because he was a senior, and he deed up on Chris Paul really hard in his face, um, and uh, you know, he did as Patrick Davidson always did. He did not back down even one fraction of an inch, and I loved it. Um, and and I don't care that he was in there instead of whatever you know future NBA starting guard it was that we had to put on the bench to have him there. I I don't think it's any issue at all. Okay, I'm 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 satisfied with the answers. Uh, Donald, did you have any any more to add on UNC? I don't think I got to wrap back to you. No, I I think you, I mean uh, Jason touched on Tyus only having one turnover. I believe he's uh, now he has passed uh, Wojo at least at this point um, for the best single season assist to turnover ratio. Um, I think he was slightly ahead of him entering this game, but having seven assists to one turnover will probably help his stats uh, considerably. Um, so I, I, you know, I think we're looking at, a, you know, one of the all time seasons from a point guard of any age and this kid's a freshman. I think we've said that a 
a few times on the podcast. This kid's a freshman, and I, I'm not sure how how he how he's built, but I, I love it. Yeah, it, it, Tyus Jones has been has been such a joy to watch. Let's touch real quickly on the Wake Forest game. Um, there's less to say, I think, because Wake isn't isn't really a, a tournament team and a, and a big time competitive team the way that UNC was. Um, but at the same time, in our first game against Wake, we won. Um, at Lawrence Joel, but we struggled. It was it was a tough game. Uh, Wake Forest got a lot of rebounds. This this week on Wednesday, Duke rolled against Wake Forest. Uh, we jumped out to to an enormous lead in the first half and never looked back. Donald, I'll start with you. Uh, what did you think about the Grayson Allen game? Well, first of all, I think Grayson Allen solidified his place as a uh, top five pick in, in this year's uh, upcoming NBA draft um, with that performance. It was awesome to watch. It, it's almost like. <laughs> it's almost like Coach K went to him before the game and said, you know this season I've been telling you to sit on the bench and I'll tell you to unleash the fury. Well, now's the time, unleash the fury. And kid went off. Uh, it was great. Uh, you know, Okafer really didn't have to play that much. He played like 19 minutes. He made both, you know, he had like six points. He made both of his two of three of his free throws. And he basically sat on the bench for the second half and, and had a front row seat to the Grace Allen show. It was, it was, it was terrific. The entire team was clicking on all cylinders, and Wake just did not have an answer for it. Um, and also, I, I want to m- point out something that was pretty cool. Um, as we know, this was our senior game, and so we honored uh, Quinn Cook and Sean Kelly um, before the game. Um, Quinn Cook, as we all know, his father passed away right before he came to Duke. Um, and it was one of his dreams to uh, have his dad you know, walk him out on senior night. But um, his dad was a member of Omega Psi Phi fraternity, um, which is one of the uh, quote-unquote Divine Nine fraternities. And uh, they got some of the fraternity members um, from his dad's fraternity to walk out Quinn Cook for senior night. I thought that was pretty special. I know um, Quinn really wanted to play hard. It was his last game in Cameron, and, and he, he had a great game uh, as he's done all year long. So I thought that was a pretty good uh, touch. Jason? Um, God, it was fun watching Grayson Allen do that. You know, uh, ever since Rashid was dismissed from the team, um, it feels like we've talked a little bit about Grayson Allen each and every week. And, and every week I've sort of said, oh, this was Grayson's best game. Oh, this was Grayson's best game because he's been getting better and better and better. Well, now we saw what Grayson's best game really looks like. <laughs> and oh, what a joy it was to watch. Um, uh, I, I think that uh, he recognized pretty early on that no matter what he threw up, it was going to go in during the first half and uh, 19 points in the first half. I mean, oh, my goodness. Um, but just in terms of overall team effort, uh, I think we've seen Duke get better and better at defense over the past couple weeks, which everyone knows was the thing that was missing for us. In the first half, we outscored Wake 52 to 15. Uh, the important part to me is that Wake only had 15 points. Now, Wake is not a great offensive team, and they certainly weren't. Uh, executing things the way they wanted to execute them. But a lot of that is Duke really getting after it on defense, figuring out different ways that we can disrupt teams. For for years, it's felt like the only thing Duke really did was play pressure man-to-man, and, and we figured out other ways of making teams have a difficult time to score um, at this season, you know, whether it's been throwing zone at teams, whether it's been throwing, you know, little half-court or, or three-quarter court traps in this to slow them down as we did against Carolina. Wake only got 15 points in the first half. We tripled, we more than tripled them. Um, 
I, and and to me, so much of that is the defense, and and a lot of it is Justice Winslow's ability to be disruptive on defense, especially with steals. He had six steals against Wake Forest in only 25 minutes. I mean, I shudder to think if he actually had to exert himself and put an effort out there uh, in the second half. The second half was a joke. I mean, the game was over. Game was over 10 minutes into it. Um, but uh, uh, I, I was tremendously impressed with our defensive effort in the game, and uh, my son. Uh, my my son says that he likes watching Grayson Allen play because Grayson scores on the most exciting ways possible. You know, uh, it, it's not really routine kind of scoring when Grayson's scoring. It's either dramatic three pointers or or lobs or 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 you know dangerous forays to the basket. And I couldn't agree more. Um, at, he's just a really fun player to watch, and this is a very very special game for him. And I'm I'm thrilled we could do it. Yeah, and I just wanted to point out, in our last Wake Forest game, Devin Thomas was sort of the, the key to Wake Forest staying in the game. He was getting every ball, and he was getting it. He was getting every rebound, and he was getting the ball in, um, down low and into the basket a lot. Uh, on Wednesday night, he scored zero points and had one rebound. Um, so we cut the head off of Wake Forest, and the body died very quickly. Uh, the, our, our first half total was 52, and Wake's final score was 51. So I, I think that there are obviously a lot of fun stats that we can point to from Wednesday night. Um, but the fact that we outscored them for the game in the first half uh, it was my favorite. And also Devin Thomas's nearly empty stat line. So um, I think we can move on from Wake Forest. We, we, we know what happened. We saw it. Um, we're now just afraid that, that all, the, all the freshmen are going to be leaving early now that Grayson Allen has shown what he can do. Um, and I wanted to, to wrap with a couple questions sort of before we before we head into the offseason, first of all, um, what do you guys make of Justice Winslow's aggressive streak that, we, that we've seen a little bit in, in some recent games, but showed up last night? He ended up um, fouling out of the game, but he had the, he had the flagrant foul. Um, he had the one um, where, he, where he locked up, I think it was J.P. Tokido's legs when he was on the ground, and the other where he was driving to the hoop and, and smashed his foot into uh, one of the UNC defenders. Uh, Bryce Harry. Johnson. It was Bryce yeah, Johnson. Bryce Johnson. Um, I'll I'll start with Jason. Uh, are you concerned about Justice Winslow and 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 this kind of mean streak that we've seen from him recently? Well, I'm going to use a little bit of colorful language here. Uh, everyone um, at Duke knows that Nate James is referred to as the as a badass, um, and uh, we we've sort of since Nate left Duke, a lot of people have said we've been missing a badass, and I think that um, th- there's little question that Justice sort of exudes. Um, some of the uh, attitude and toughness and aggressiveness that come with being a badass. Um, I think he, I think it's gone a little overboard. I, I, I don't like some of the things I saw in the Carolina game. Um, the, the kick on Bryce Johnson bothered me more than anything else because that really, to me, really did look like he was, um, he was trying to, to kick an opposing player. Um, it's not the kind of thing we've, grown to expect from a Duke player. Uh, I, I, I hope we don't see it anymore. I have a feeling that um, referees are going to be more aware of it after the Carolina game because uh, both that one and and the one where he got the flagrant one uh, where he was, uh, you, you know, using his his foot to to hook up J.P. Tokoto. I don't think he was trying to injure Tokoto. I think he was trying to sort of prevent Tokoto from getting to the ball um, on a rebound. And, you know, he was using whatever part of his body he could to stop him. But I think referees and announcers and and reporters and such are going to be aware of it and there's gonna be some extra scrutiny on on uh on justice and i I hope we don't see that kind of thing again i I can certainly 
look, you know, I think we're going to get to the ACC tournament um, in a little bit. And NC State, who is fairly likely to be our first opponent, uh, is a team that, you know, gets chippy and and gets um, physical. And I, I hope that Justice can figure out ways to channel his aggression um, in a way that doesn't result in something more serious. Donald? So I, I'm of the other opinion. I, I, I thought the... I honestly thought the flagrant one yesterday should have been an offensive foul at worst. Um, I think if he does that with his arm, it's called a loose ball foul. Um, and, and because they missed it, they had to, and they wanted to review it, they had to give the flagrant one. Um, I, I'm not sure that it was overly flagrant uh, compared to some of the other, you know, flagrant fouls we've seen in college basketball this year. Hey, for, so, for, for, I wasn't sure what... about that. Don, for what it's worth, I, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think it really merited a flagrant one. Um, but, uh, I, you know, my point was, I think we're sort of seeing a little bit of a pattern with him, um, and, and it bothers me, but, but continue, but I agree with you. I don't think it merited a flagrant one, but I, I sort of think they had to do something cause they missed the call and they felt like they had to do something. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's what bothered me the most is that they missed the call instead of doing a makeup call on the other end, which is what you normally see in college basketball. They decide to stop the game and, and basically give a flagger one for something that probably just should have been called on the floor or let go on the floor, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I see some of these things like the kick that he had in the offensive foul, and, and you kind of say, to, you know, the average person would probably say, oh, that's, you know, really bad. He shouldn't be doing that. Uh, I think we need a little bit more of that, but not necessarily that, like, kind of aggression, if that makes sense. I, I think we need, we need somebody who's going to be on the floor and the other team is going to say if we mess with – that's what you Grayson Allen or whoever that we're going to have to deal with Justice Winslow. And, and I, I think I like that he is channeling some of the Nate James badassness, um, as, as you so eloquently put. But I, I think that, uh, like you did say, I think he needs to, you know, be able to channel it and, and release it in the right way. Um, you know, trying to kick somebody as he's going in for a layup is probably not the best way to do that. But, uh, and I recognize that. I, I think that he is, he's trying to protect his team sometimes and, Sometimes it, it may get a bad rap for that, but I, I think that he's doing – he's not doing anything that I really have a real cause for concern. I think it's just something that we know that, that the rest of the teams and probably the referees are going to be looking out for. Um, thanks, guys. I, I think you covered it. Uh, I, I don't have much to add on, on Winslow. I think we got sort of both sides of the, uh, of the scene there. So let's look ahead. Uh, I want to focus with Jason because Donald and I are going to have some time after we talk to Laura Keeley. Um, Jason – what do you think are the keys for Duke in the in the ACC tournament? You mentioned that we're probably going to be playing NC State. We might be playing as a Florida State is uh, up against them uh, in the first I round. It's Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Excuse me. Uh, I think I'm. I think I was remembering a a previous um, ACC bracket before all the games ended yesterday. So it's NC State and Pittsburgh. They're playing on Wednesday night. Uh, Duke gets the winner of that game. What do you see for the the keys to that game? Obviously, we don't know who the the opponent is, and what do you think about Duke's uh, seeding relative to how they perform in the ACC tournament? Well, I, I, it's a pity, I think, that we're getting NC State because if you look at sort of that amalgam of teams that were there in the middle, Clemson, Florida State, NC State, Pittsburgh, and Miami, um, and to be honest, you know, you could toss a coin and uh, and put those teams in any order, uh, in my opinion. I, I, I don't know that any of them stood out that much from the rest other than NC State. Um, I think NC State uh, clearly has the most talent of those teams and and has the most potential to play at a really, really high level. Look, we saw it when they 
when they, you know, sort of blew dorks. We saw it when they sort of blew Duke's doors off um, in, uh, you know, when we played uh, in in Reynolds. And and they also won on the road at, at UNC. They, they had a number of other, you know, pretty impressive results. They're a schizophrenic team capable of playing great and capable of playing poorly. Um, but they were sort of the team I wanted to avoid. And, and unfortunately, we got them. On the other hand, you can make an argument for there's no way Duke will overlook them. Um, I think Duke's going to want some revenge and going and, you know, we're going to be angry because of what they did to us earlier in the year. Um, uh, I, I, I actually think one of the nice things is state probably will not be playing for NCAA, an NCAA tournament st- spot. I think they've pretty they come pretty darn close to locking one up. Um, uh, I think, the, you know, most of the latest bracketology has them around a nine seed, maybe a 10 seed. Um, and I think even if they lost to Pittsburgh in the first round, which I don't think they will, I think they probably would still be in the tournament. Certainly if they beat Pittsburgh, they aren't going to feel like the game against Duke is a must win for them to reach the tournament. I think state is pretty solidly the ACC's sixth team in the tournament. So I sort of like that. I, if we were playing a Miami, I could see Miami saying, this is our game. This is our statement game to say that we definitely deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. So I'm glad we get to a, avoid that kind of thing. Um, and if we play Pittsburgh, uh, you know, because I don't want to presume that state's going to win my commentary. And that would be, I think you will again, see Duke play a lot of zone um, and you will see us challenge Pittsburgh to make the outside shot. Pittsburgh made the outside shot against UNC, but other than that, they really haven't made it that much on the season. Uh, so I, I like our first round matchup. And then from there, Probably, you know, you're probably looking at Notre Dame. Um, and uh, I, I definitely like uh, our chances against Notre Dame. Um, uh, but it'll be another offensive battle. And the ACC tournament is it's just tons and tons of fun. Donald, what, what, what's, your, what's your look at the ACC tournament? I think it's going to be, like, just like you said, I think it's going to be a, a barn burner. We have, you, you have five teams that are pretty much separated from the rest of the pack uh, in the top, you know, f- top five teams. Um, and then you have four teams that are really, like you said, battling for that final win uh, to bolster the resume for the NCAA tournament. I think it's going to be one of the best, uh, one of the best tournaments that we've had. And, and it's a shame that we don't have all 15 teams. I guess they're going to have to wait till they come to my neck of the woods next year uh, to have a, a full 15 team ACC tournament for the first time um, or the second time, actually. So uh, I, I think with, NC State in Pittsburgh, I think, like you said, I think NC State is in the tournament. Uh, I, I honestly do think if they get blown out by Pittsburgh, that throws that into arrears. And I, I think with some of the upsets you saw in the mid-major tournaments, um, NC State still has probably a little bit of work to do. I think they need to get past Pittsburgh to kind of solidify their place in the tournament. Um, so, I, I, like you said, if they're doing that, if they get to meet us, then they're going to probably put their foot up, take their foot off the gas, hopefully. Um, and this is a, a chance for us to show some revenge. This is one of the teams that we lost to. We haven't seen them again since that loss. So uh, it'd be good to do that on the, on the grand stage of the ACC tournament. On Pittsburgh side, like you said, we played a lot of zone. I think this was, if I recall, this is the first game that we really employed the zone uh, for a lot of time, more than you know, one possession. Um, and so it really worked handily against Pittsburgh, and I think we would see that again. It's more of an athletic zone that we, than we will have seen um, the first time because our team is more used to it. So I think that's going to be uh, something to see. Yeah, I, I think that it would, be, it would be great to see us go through the ACC tournament and win it, um, particularly if we got another, another shot at Virginia because I think that since their loss against uh, Louisville this weekend, they're, it, it, it's more up for debate which of Duke and Virginia would be ahead in the, in the number one uh, rankings 
ranking, I, I suppose. Um, so the the thing I I would really look for is that we'd be able to get to the final and you know have to beat uh, the whoever whichever two teams show up ahead of us. Um, when, but winning this ACC tournament would be great. A because we hopefully would get to see Virginia again, and B because um, as as we've mentioned before, Quinn Cook still hasn't won a has hasn't raised a banner yet, in Cameron, um, and and this is his first of three shots to do it. He's he's got this, and he's got the final four, and then obviously from the final four, um, the potential to win a national championship. So his time is running out to sort of leave a, a legacy in the rafters uh, in Cameron, and and this is his first shot, and probably the easiest shot. Uh, if if you can say that the ACC tournament this year is going to be easy, which it certainly won't be. Um, but outside of that, I think the most important thing is to see that the team is healthy. Um, we've we've seen almost everybody on the team go down with some sort of injury in the last two months. Obviously, Okafor still dealing with that ankle. Tyus Jones had his back spasms yesterday. Winslow, you know, was banged up earlier in the season and seems to have seems to have recovered. Um, so more than. Uh, you know, I, I it would be great to win this ACC tournament and to have good games against against you know fellow NCAA tournament teams like Notre Dame and NC State or um, Virginia, whoever it is that we might play. I think the most important thing is to make sure that Duke is healthy. We have a short bench. There's you know there's only eight scholarship players left, and we have to hopefully play three games in a row. Um, so I hope that I hope that Coach K manages that uh, so that when we do make it to the tournament as you know, almost are very likely a, a number one seed um, that that we are healthy and ready to go and that we won't be bowing out in the first round like we have a couple times in recent years. You, you know, you, you brought up Quinn needing um, or, or wanting to get a title, to get a ring. Um, I couldn't agree more. And, and what a fabulous career he's had and what a fabulous senior season he's had. I, I really... You know, it seems very silly to say, I really want us to make the Final Four. I mean, every Duke fan does, but I really, really want us to make the Final Four because there is a very, very small number of kids who've played four years for Coach K and not made a Final Four. Um, the the grand total of guys who've had that happen to them um, is Wojo, Demarcus Nelson, Greg Paulus, Marty Potius, and David McClure. I think that last year's class never made one. I think no last year's Harris, class. Last year's class made it in in 2010. No, no. Harrison and Thornton were freshmen in 2011 season. Um, so you, oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're, you're absolutely yeah, right. Kyrie. You're absolutely right. You're right. Yes. But no. But um, but but the point is made. <laughs> yes. Uh, you're right. It's it's a total of seven guys, and and Thorsten and Harrison, um, uh, Tiny Thor and Harrison made it uh, seven last year. I don't want Quinn to join that group. Uh, nice guys, you know, good group of guys. Uh, I go to battle with those guys any day, but I don't want anyone else in that <laughs> in in that uh, statistical category. And and I really really hope Quinn Cook gets to avoid it um, because it would be a, a lot of fun for Duke if uh, if we could make uh, a Final Four again. By the way, you were talking about Duke and Virginia and, and who sort of gets the East and who gets the South. Um, first of all, I, I don't I don't necessarily care all that much. Um, uh, Kentucky's almost certain to be the number one in the Midwest, which would put them on the opposite side of the bracket from us. I think the important thing is getting a one seed and not somehow getting wrangled into being Kentucky's number two. That's what everyone's been talking about for a while. I, I, I said last week on the podcast that I thought Duke's magic number was one and that we needed to have, if we only had one more loss over the course of the season, whether it was Carolina or in the ACC tournament, that 
that we would still be a number one seed. Well, we've now made it the point where the, the largest possible number of losses we have left before the NCAA tournament is one. Um, and, and I think even if Duke doesn't win the ACC tournament, we are going to be a number one seed. I actually think we will probably even be a number one seed if, if we somehow lose in the quarterfinals to, to Pitt or NC State. Um, I certainly think if we win that game, we're assured of being a one. And if Duke and Virginia are sort of vying for the East and the South and, and they're playing on Sunday, it's real simple. The, turn, the tournament selection committee is going to put the ACC winner in the East and the ACC loser in the South and not even think twice about it. And then whatever happens, that game happens that ha- game. But, but I think it's, it's pretty much a done deal already. Um, Donald, what do you think? Do you think there's any work left to do for us to be a number one seed? Maybe win a first round game? Uh, I, I think we're, yeah, I don't think we're going to be in Kentucky's bracket. I honestly don't think, even if we are number two, like I said last week, they, they pride themselves on geographic preference. So our preference is not going to be the Midwest, and that's where they're going to put Kentucky. So I, I think we're safely out of Kentucky's bracket, even if we're a two seed. Um, I think the worst case scenario is that they put us out in the West as a one. Um, if we win one game in the turn in the ACC tournament, so uh, like I said, getting to the semifinal or the semifinal will solidify it because even if we lose to one of those teams, is you know the the four best teams in the ACC most likely will be there. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see where we end up. Um, I and actually I think the more uh, important scenario is who ends up as the number two. Uh, assuming we get one of those one seeds in the east or the south. It's going to be interesting. I think this morning I read that uh, they had Villanova in the south with us, which uh, – I'm sorry, not Villanova, uh, Gonzaga in the south with us, which I would love, um, and that would be great for uh, for our bracket. But um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, and I think a lot of these uh, mid-major tournaments that are going on this weekend uh, are going to really affect that. All right. Yeah, you know, well, Joe, oh, Lenard, sorry, Joe, Lenardi has, Joe Lenardi has us in the south – with Gonzaga as the number two, Utah as the number three, um, Oklahoma and Arkansas as the four and five. Can we take that bracket right now? I, Let's do I, it. I want, yeah, I, I want that I'm, bracket. I'm done. Let's do it. <laughs> um, all well, right. Thanks, I think we've. I, I think we've got uh, enough bracketology. We'll we'll wrap back to it uh, when we talk to Laura Keeley in the next segment. Um, but before Jason goes, I want to uh, do a quick player of the week nomination um, so that so that we can get his thoughts on it. I'll start with Donald though. Uh, Donald, who was your player of the week this week for Duke? Grayson Allen. That's my man. He was awesome on Wednesday against Wake Forest. He actually, you know, he had great, you know, great poise on the floor um, against uh, UNC last night. He made four key free throws down the stretch. And we're going to need him during the tournament. With our bench being so short, we can't, uh, you know, we can't rely on, you know, just five guys being productive. So him looking awesome this week really helps our chances because, we know that he, this guy is showing no fear in the court. He, you know, he's coming in. The game has slowed down considerably for him since uh, Rashid Suleiman was uh, dismissed from the from the program. Um, and he is. We've really seen him mature a lot in the last month. So I can't wait to see the tournament. I, I think he's going to be a, a, a real X factor for us. And and he is my player of the week. I think at this point. Grayson Allen is playing about the same role that Andre Dawkins was playing his freshman year. And we know because we we talk about it all the time, uh, how important Andre Dawkins was in that, in that national championship run, especially in that uh, elite eight, elite eight game against Baylor. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, he, he, I think he's at this point where, where he could be playing a key role uh, in a big tournament game. Jason, what about your player of the week? You know, it's a really tough week to pick player of the week because, 
Um, and you never necessarily look at it and say, okay, who is the best player in both games? Um, but uh, so in the Wake Forest game, Grayson Allen and Justice Winslow were, were Duke's best players by, by a pretty wide margin, I thought. Um, but then in the UNC game, you know, Grayson's playing much smaller role. Yes, he, he had some key minutes, and I, and I agree, he, he's a worthy, you know, worthy player of the week contender. Um, but he didn't have a huge role, and, and Justice was in all the foul trouble and stuff and only played 22 minutes. So, so where do you go with your player of the week? I, I'll tell you where I went. I went with a guy I haven't picked all year, I think. I went with Quinn Cook. And, and the reason is we heard time and time and time again that Quinn Cook is this team's leader. We, we, we heard it a lot in the UNC game. The, the announcers talked about it, uh, about how much Quinn Cook has mentored Tyus Jones and, and how Tyus talks about the inspiration that Quinn has been and how Quinn has guided him along. Look, I don't know if Quinn Cook is going to end up having a, a huge NBA or professional basketball career, but I'll tell you what I do know. When his professional playing days are over, uh, which I hope is a long time from now, you know, I hope for his sake that he earns many, many millions of dollars and all kinds of accolades because he deserves them. But when his professional days are over, Quinn Cook will still be around a basketball court. He'll just be sitting on the sidelines wearing a suit. That kid's going to be a coach someday. And I thought this week um, he absolutely deserves player of the week for all that he's done all season to guide this really, really young, inexperienced team. Um and, and at the same time, he had, a, he had a fabulous week. He had 20 points against Carolina. He was our, our leader on the floor. When, when Tyus got hurt and went out and everyone in Duke Nation was like, oh, my God, um, I, you know, Quinn was the guy who, who brought us up the floor. And he was, you know, he was the only real regular in the game at that point when we sort of had the run that put us back in, in the lead and gave us a little bit of breathing room. Um, great game, great week, great season, great career. Player of the week, Quinn Cook. All right. Uh, I think this week we're all going with different people. Is this the first time it's happened? Not the first time, but it's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, I'm picking Tyus Jones. He had that incredible game against Carolina. And, and not, to, not to put down anything that Quinn Cook or Grayson Allen did this week because they were both um, certainly tremendous. But... In the first game against UNC, Tyus Jones came out big. He made a bunch of big shots. Um, he sort of did everything for us at the end of the game. It was like that again this time against Carolina. Uh, I don't think that Tyus Jones is staying for four years, but man, if he did, the UNC fans would hate him so much because uh, he, he knows how to get into the lane. He knows how to draw that contact. I, I can't remember where I saw this commentary last night or this morning on Twitter that when Tyus Jones goes into the lane, um, you know, opposing big men see him and see his size and think, I am going to block this dude. And Tyus Jones is only thinking, I am going to draw contact and score a basket. And Tyus Jones was right last night more often than the UNC bigs were. And he, he was great um, finishing, distributing, rebounding. He, he put together such, a, such an excellent game against a really tough opponent. And I think, you know, we were talking about the bracketology a little bit ago. I think that Tyus Jones last night locked up Duke's getting a number one seed. Uh, as Jason mentioned, I think it's that we only have one loss that we can get between now and the end of the season, and and that the safety of that number one seed is on is on the back of Tyus Jones and his ability to finish, especially uh, coming back from that injury, whatever you know, whatever the the back spasm was that he was having. Um, he came right back into the game. He looked tough. I hope he's healthy. Um, Quinn Cook is the emotional leader of this team, but Tyus Jones is is driving the engine right now, and uh, and and I think that he's he's going to be key to our our success in the postseason. The last couple of years, we've noted that um, 
that the teams that win the championships do so um, on the backs of, of a strong backcourt. And, and I think it, at this point, you know, it's hard to say that Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook aren't the best backcourt in the country, or at least one of them. So uh, Tyus Jones is my player of the week. All right. I, you think, know, oh, I was going to say ESPN, go ahead, ESPN's wrap-up of the Duke-Carolina game uh, might as well be a, a Tyus Jones homage because there are all kinds of stats and, and commentary about him. They point out that during Duke's last 15 games, Tyus Jones is averaging 14.4 points per game, playing 37.7 minutes per game. He's hitting almost 50% of his three-pointers. He's hitting 44% of his three-pointers in the last 15 games. That's amazing. And uh, one of my favorite stats, he either scored or assisted on 48% of Duke's points against UNC. Basically, you can say Tyus was responsible for half of our offense. That's kind of ridiculous. Um, and that's not so, counting all of the all the swing passes and 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 other things that he's doing to get the ball into the right guy's hands. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it, what uh, what Tyus did against UNC this year is truly unprecedented. Twenty points, twenty plus points, and seven or more assists in both games against Carolina. That's pretty good. That'll get it done. So yeah, yeah. I, hey, I, I I got no problem with us picking three different players of the week because those are the three guys I considered and. Um, I'm I'm glad we ended up honoring all of them. Uh, okay, so we've got our player of the week out of the way. We'll get to Laura Keeley here in a second, but before we do, we want to say goodbye to Jason. He has whatever family obligations on vacation that he has. Uh, so, Jason, thanks for joining us this week. And hey, we hey, will... hey, I, oh, I thought I thought we were going to talk at least for a brief moment about Syracuse. Oh, and, Jason, and why don't you give us why don't you give us your thoughts on the uh, I think pretty harsh. Uh, sanctions that Syracuse received this week from the NCAA. It was Friday afternoon. Um, in addition to the postseason ban, which the NCAA basically brushed aside and said, you know, hey, thanks for giving us the postseason ban, but um, but we don't care. It didn't, it didn't factor, in, factor into our decision-making process at all. By the way, Jim Beheim is suspended for nine ACC games next year. They have reduced scholarships for the next round of, of scholar for the next four years. Uh, they're, they're down three scholarships. Um, and what was the other, uh, what was the other saying? Oh, and their, well, and, the other, and their the recruiting other staff is down from, is down from four to two. Um, so they're not going to be able to recruit as hard as they did before. So it was basically like cutting off all of the, all of the little things that, that teams rely on to, to be competitive, especially in, in high level basketball. Um, the NCAA came out and basically said, we're going to take a little bit of everything away from you. So, uh, Jason, your quick thoughts on Syracuse and the sanctions they received this week. Well, so first of all, I think the one that's the most significant going forward is the reduction of scholarships, obviously. Um, it takes them from 13 down to 10. The key, uh, the key with 10 is that's the number of guys you need to have a good five-on-five practice. And look, this is something Duke has dealt with all season long with not having, you know, 10 guys, not all season long, but certainly since Rashid Suleiman was gone, Duke really hasn't had 10 scholarship athletes that they could put on the floor at one time to simulate game conditions in a practice. Um, I'm sure that, you know, Sean Kelly and, and the other walk-ons are, are, are doing their best to Probably help. But it, yes, yes. But it's it's not the same as having, you know, a full full complement of scholarship players. And, and Syracuse is going to be in that same position. If anyone gets injured, if Syracuse has, you know, maybe they've got too many big men and not enough guards or something like that, they're going to have some trouble practicing for the next several years. And it's an issue. But the most important thing to come out of this is the way the NCAA came down on Jim Beheim. Obviously, Duke fans all latched on to and recognized that Jim Beheim is going to be forced to vacate. Um, I think it's around 150, 157, something like that wins from his record. So Jim Beheim is no longer 
on Coach K's heels. He was about a season and a half or so behind Coach K for total wins. Jim Beheim now falls back to he's below Dean Smith. Um, uh, <laughs> I sort of love saying that. Um, uh, he, he's fallen a bit farther back in the pack, and there's really no one um, anywhere close to Coach K at this point as a result of all these wins being vacated. But um, but what the NCAA said was Jim Beheim failed to maintain an atmosphere of compliance in his program. And although although the NCAA didn't tie a lot of this stuff directly to Jim Beheim, they blamed him for not having you know, more oversight over what's going on. It, it, it sort of goes back to Harry Truman and the buck stops here. The buck stops with the head coach. That's what the NCAA said. And, and in the case of Jim Beheim, they said, because other people around your program, because other things around your program were a problem, you're going to sit out nine games and we're taking away 150 wins um, and, and your record is forever tarnished. And I think there's no way the NCAA can't say something similar about Roy Williams when, when, when they eventually, probably by the year 2019 or 2020, actually have the, the stones to, to punish UNC for the worst cheating scandal, the worst academic improprieties that the NCAA has ever seen by a factor of 10 or 20 or something like that. I, I won't be at all surprised. I'm going on the record right now. I think there's a very decent chance the NCAA is going to force Roy Williams to sit out an entire season because... Um, of the magnitude of the scandal and the fact that they're going to say the head coach needed to know what was going on and saying, I didn't know it was these academic guys. I didn't know it was my academic advisor. I didn't know. The NCAA is going to say, we don't care if you didn't know. You were supposed to know. And so I think, I think if I'm Roy Williams, I am really, really nervous having seen what the NCAA did to Jim Beheim because I think what the NCAA is going to do to Roy Williams is going to make this seem like a slap on the wrist. All right. I think we'll we'll get Donald's and my um, opinions on this kind of after we ask Laura about it, because I know that I know that we're going to touch on that with her. Um, so with that, Jason, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we will see you next week. I guess we'll we'll have to do a a podcast late next week uh, after the brackets come out so we can kind of preview what's going on. But we'll we'll figure that out as the week goes on. We'll, we'll um, get it together. Don't worry. We'll, we'll record it late, but I'll edit it. And yeah, get it so we'll, we'll, we'll get it out there at the normal time so everyone can know to expect us at the normal time, but it will include the NCAA tournament. No question about that. So we are, we are stepping up for all the people who are helping us get ahead of Inside Carolina on the iTunes list. Yes, um, all, all 20 are, of them. <laughs> yes. We're moving um, up. We're moving up. So, so anyway, thanks, Jason. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yep. I'll toast you guys on Bourbon Street. Talk to you later. All right. Uh, so moving on from Jason, thank you again to Jason for joining us. And um, sorry he had to leave. But as he mentioned, we're replacing him with somebody better. Um, as we as we mentioned at the top of the show this week, we've got Laura Keeley. She's the Duke beat reporter for the Raleigh News and Observer. Uh, she's been on with us before. This is her second time on the podcast. And she was grateful enough to join us during this most hectic time of the year for her um, to break down what we've seen from Duke so far and to look ahead uh, at the ACC. So, Laura, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Um, so let's kind of start last night at the UNC game. Before the game, they had the uh, the, the tribute to Coach K and his thousand wins. Um, 
I, I don't think we really got to see it on TV, or at least I didn't. Um, how did it how did it go over in the stadium? Because I know there was some scuttlebutt about how the UNC fans might not appreciate it. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny. Um, you know, when when Kay and and Roy uh, Williams shook hands, you could could you know from our vantage point see Roy telling them that you know Roy was going to walk out with them just uh, so there wouldn't be any booing and. I'm not sure what Sushevsky uh, said back to him, but it kind of made Roy laugh. And, and it was really well received. Yeah, you know, it was largely applause. There was a few scattered boos, but nothing that probably picked up on TV. And, you know, so Roy was out there, and uh, there were two UNC players, Marcus Page being one of them. And Sushevsky talked after the game how, you know, Page told him some very nice things, and he, he really appreciated that. So, uh you know, it wasn't something that Krzyzewski wanted. He he also mentioned that post game, but you know, after after Duke recognized Dean Smith uh, the way they did before the first game, it was something that UNC wanted to do for him. Good. I'm, I'm, I know that I I had sort of a cynical uh, thought before that it was going to get ugly and there was going to be a lot of boom, but I'm glad that Roy sort of figured out how to keep it in check and. Like maybe put Marcus Page out there just to just to sort of diffuse <laughs> the situation. Um, sure. So I don't necessarily want to talk specifically about the game uh, because I think there's a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, so I want to sort of look at Duke's season, sort of the, the regular season as a whole that we've we've seen so far. Um, what's been the biggest surprise to you about the way that Duke has played this season? I think there were a lot of interesting expectations about us this year. Uh, obviously, Okafor came in with a lot of hype. Um, but what stood out to you this season um, that you didn't expect when we came into the preseason about, about this Duke team? You know, I, I need to go back and look, but I remember one of my colleagues at the NNO, Joe Giglio, I think he gave me, like, you know, for an over-under on Duke's losses in ACC play, kind of a, a choice, you know, the over or the under on 2.5. And I, I can't for the life of me remember what I picked. But I, I looking at the schedule before the year, I figured Duke might lose, you know, probably about three, maybe a few more conference games. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have predicted that two of them would be to NC State Miami. But, uh, you know, it, it's been a kind of a roller coaster season in some respects. But at the same time, I think, you know, you look at Duke where they are right now, they're, you know, 28-3 and three with, you know, three losses in conference, second seed in the ACC tournament probably about where people figured they would be. Um, it just looked a little different getting there. One of the one of the big surprises for me is just how consistent that Tyus Jones and Jaleel Okafor are able to be. You know, uh, you knew they would be good. Their the reputations didn't come from nothing. But, you know, Okafor really didn't have a bad offensive game. He wasn't really a no-show in any game. And, uh, you know, the way Tyus is just consistently able to play his best in big games, late in big games, you know, it's pretty uncanny for a guy that's, uh, you know, six one, not not overly strong and overly big, not overly quick or athletic, but he just kind of gets it done. And what do you make of Quinn Cook's ascendance this season from, you know, more or less a role player in, in the previous three years to being one of the stars of the team this year and one of the best players in the ACC? Yeah, yeah, I totally I forgot about that, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I, nobody, even Mike Krzyzewski, would, said he would not have predicted what uh, Quinn was able to do this season just because there really wasn't anything, you know, in his previous three years indicating that that would be the case for him. You, know, you remember last year, which seems like, you know, eons ago in terms of Quinn Cook's career, but 
you know, there were some tough moments for Quinn last year. He he lost his starting spot. You had Suleiman playing more points at one point uh, during last season. You know, lost his cool a few times on the bench, and you know he was really up and down emotionally and struggled kind of with his shot last year. And so, you know, I was definitely one who was skeptical when I heard, you know, in the summer and early season that you know Quinn was playing so well, everything was going great. It was kind of like, okay, like we'll we'll wait and see exactly what that looks like. But he. He has been as important as really anyone to Duke this year. You know, you Tyus who does this thing, you know, particularly late in big games. But you know, you go back and look at some of those games. Uh, you know, against St. John's in the Garden, Cook hit four huge threes. You know, throughout the game when Duke needed them, and and he's played some great defense on guys like Marcus Page and Jerrion Grant. And he's his his late career ascendance is definitely something that nobody could have predicted. And what about the way that he's he's played specifically with Tyus Jones and sharing the backcourt with him? You know, Quinn was supposed to be a point guard, and this year really hasn't been. Yeah, he that that, that obviously shows some you know personal growth and maturity, which you forget these guys are eighteen to twenty two. There's certainly room for that to happen, but uh, he's been great as their kind of quote unquote shooting guard. He's shooting much better than he was last year, which certainly helps. Playing with a ton of confidence, and he has been content to let Tyus be Tyus, and you know Quinn has been able to be Quinn, kind of you know around Tyus and coexisting with them. So it was definitely you know a mature move on his part to recognize that Tyus was talented. Tyus was going to be able to help the team, and you know for them to be as good as they can, then the two of them needed to be able to coexist. It worked out quite well, obviously. So looking at this season. Um... We've had a lot of interesting stuff happen. Obviously, the you know we've had the stud freshmen that have been that have been so consistent as you mentioned from day one. Um, Quinn Cook transforming into into such a great player, and then and then all the the mess with Rashid Suleiman and Coach K getting his thousandth win. Is this the is this the most interesting Duke season that you've covered or seen um, since you've been following this team? It's certainly been an emotional roller coaster. You know. It's- you know, obviously he had never dismissed the player before, so that just in and of itself made it, you know, a, a big-time, huge event. Um, you know, 1,000 wins has never happened before, and, you know, you tie that in, you tie the 1,000 wins pursuit in with kind of the unexpected struggles against State and Miami, and then, you know, that's all kind of compounding all together. And it, then, it, you know, you have going to Virginia, who was undefeated and ranked number two at that point in the year. It's been... It has been an emotional roller coaster, and I think, you know, it's a great credit to Shashevsky and the staff that they were able to keep guys from just getting, you know, burnt out, which would have been a, a kind of a fair reaction to how how this season had gone for them. But everybody has been able to be, you know, pretty even keel. They've been able to rise to the occasion when they needed to. And they've avoided, you know, for the most part, shooting themselves in the foot, you know, against Virginia Tech. You know, Wednesday night game, late night game in Blacksburg. People would probably rather not be there. Let's be honest. But you know, they managed to get it together enough to pull out that overtime win. And yeah, it's been it's it's funny. You know, thinking back to like that Michigan State game, it kind of feels like five years ago. <laughs> but uh, you know, at, at the same time, it is kind of crazy now that the regular season is in fact behind us. And um, we we brought up Rashid Suleiman briefly. I don't really want to get into the speculation of what's going on with him. Um, but when 
when Mike Krzyzewski announced that he was dismissing him and that he wasn't going to be with the team any longer. Uh, where did you think the team was going from there, uh, losing a, a key rotation piece on, on both sides of the ball? Well, you know, I could see it kind of going either way. And, uh, you know, clearly that was used as a rallying point for the guys that were left, kind of an opportunity for, you know, Krzyzewski to kind of circle the wagons and, you know, look at the eight that are left and say, you know, this is what we got. This is what we need from everybody. And, you know, whether there's any correlation causation going on, Justice Winslow has played phenomenally better since Suleiman's dismissal. You know, yes, Winslow has gotten a little healthier, learned how to play with kind of the, the bulky padding, protecting his fractured rib, bruised ribs uh, going on there. But, but also I think subconsciously the guys that were left, you know, people like Matt Jones and Justice Winslow, they, they realized they needed to step up and fill a void. And uh, it has, in fact, been uh, addition by subtraction. You mentioned um, Winslow's injuries early in the season. And, and as we've gone through ACC play, we've seen a number of Duke players go down with a variety of little injuries. Uh, what is the sort of team's overall health look like right now? And, and how are they looking going into the postseason health-wise? Well, there's no denying that, you know, at this point of the year, most everybody around college basketball is feeling pretty beat up. Duke in particular this year, you know, you, there's only eight of them for one. So, uh, you know, that's from, from a depth perspective, perspective that that's a little more concerning than anyone would prefer it be obviously. But, uh, yeah, there are, there are five guys, uh, Okafor, let me try to get them all. Quinn Cook, uh, Neil Jefferson, Grayson Allen, and, uh, you know, I'm missing one, but there's one more that has kind of an outstanding ankle thing. You know, Tyus, who's not one of the guys with the ankles, has uh, had back spasms last night. So everybody is really looking forward to kind of this extended break when you consider how quickly games have been being played uh, between now and the ACC tournament to get in, get treatment, you know, focus on recovering a little bit and then trying to be as fresh as they can the rest of the way. Is there a team between NC State and Pittsburgh that Duke do you think would rather play on Thursday night? You know, I think uh, obviously, I think NC State is more equipped to beat Duke, and you obviously did see them beat Duke kind of with the with the guards they have and how they're able to you know, spread teams out and drive, and they also have solid post play, so I think NC State is the better team between them in Pittsburgh, and I think they're the team that presents more challenge for Duke. But I don't necessarily know that Duke should be concerned with trying to avoid playing NC State. You know, you could certainly argue that you know it would be it could be a better tune-up to play a team that you know, did kind of exploit weaknesses, and it would be a nice little measuring stick to see how they have been able to shore up those issues if they were to see the Wolfpack again. So, kind of looking at the ACC tournament as a whole, and and Duke's approach to it. Um, you know, obviously a lot of the guys, as you said, are, are banged up um, and they have this time to recover, but then they, they may have to play three games in a row if they, if they keep winning. Um, how much do you think Mike Krzyzewski values the team being healthy for the NCAA tournament uh, as opposed to winning the ACC tournament? Where's the, where's that balance? Yeah. You, you know, he, he mentioned uh, after a home game a few weeks ago, probably the Wake Forest game that, you know, the NCAA is, is is the bigger goal. It's the bigger picture. It's the more important thing, you know, being able to be equipped to make a run for a national title. You know, if that includes an ACC title along the way, great. If not, you know, 
again. You move on quickly and you focus on the bigger goal. At the same time, you know, Duke is obviously not going to do anything other than, you know, do their best to try to win. They're not going to do something like, you know, sit Okafor, you know, barring any further injury developments or anything like that. It's, it, it is kind of an interesting position because, uh, you know, they're playing three extra games does kind of wear guys down a little bit more. But at the same token, you know, Krzyzewski would say, I'm sure if you presented him kind of with that question that, you know, we'll just practice less. Uh, you know, he, he is a firm believer and has been all year that, you know, every kid wants to play 40 minutes a game. You know, if you ask them, there's not going to be any kid who's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'll, I'll just play 20, 25 minutes so, so I can not get run down. But, you know, if, so if guys are playing a lot, then you cut back on their practice time, which is something Duke has done. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily – I don't think, like, Duke fans should be concerned if they do end up playing all three games. At the same token – they go out early in the championship game. I think Duke's pretty set as a one seed at this point, personally, and I wouldn't really fret too much about that either. All right, we'll move to the NCAA tournament then um, in a second. I just wanted to wrap the ACC real quick. Do you uh, do you vote for the all ACC um, media teams? Is that part of your role? This is the first year I have not actually, and just because, kind of like we talked about, it's been such a crazy year. I haven't seen too much basketball uh, in the ACC that didn't involve Duke, so I uh, I did kind of pass on my vote this year. If you if you did have to vote, who were some players that stood out for you from the conference, even if it's only from games that you saw them against Duke? Sure, you know I've been looking and seeing kind of what ballots other people filled. Uh, I think the first team, if I would have picked one that I would have gone with, would have had Okafor and Quinn Cook, Jerry and Grant. Uh, Rakeem Christmas, and then probably Malcolm Brogdon from Virginia. Uh, you know, it's always funny how, you know, with Virginia, it, you can't just look at a stat sheet because nobody puts up great individual numbers. But, you know, you look at what Brogdon does on both ends of the floor for them, and especially what he was able to do once Jester Nixon went out. You know, I think that would be uh, the five I would go with. Has there been a player in the ACC that has surprised you with how well they've played this year or a player that you expected to be really good that hasn't kind of lived up to that? Um, you know, I, I guess I forgot about Grant, Jerry and Grant at Notre Dame once he got suspended for ACC play last year. Uh, you know, Notre Dame, they really struggled without him, but they were pretty good, uh, you know, when he was with them earlier last season. So I have been a little surprised, I guess, just with how far he's been able to carry that team. You know, I wasn't expecting much at all from Notre Dame in the preseason. And uh, now they're the you know number three seed in the ACC tournament. He's, he's an absolutely fantastic player and will no doubt get some votes for ACC Player of the Year. And, uh, you know, somebody I've, I've been surprised with, and I think everybody has, was, uh, you know, Marcus Page. And I, I don't think he's near anywhere near 100% health-wise, which, uh, you know, is, is a struggle for a guy that, you know, kind of like Tyus Jones, just isn't blessed with a ton of natural athletic ability. So anything that's slowing him down is really taking him off his game. But, you know, I thought North Carolina was going to be better than they were, and a long, large part of it was because I thought, you know, Marcus Page is going to play, you know, like a first-team All-American candidate, and he just hasn't done that this year. Yeah, on Grant, I I sort of have always seen him as as Jeremy's older brother uh, who played at Syracuse, and I, I can't remember now if he's in the NBA or if he's in the D League. Um, but right, he was like a he was like a power forward, and it was like, oh well, he's got that other brother at Notre Dame who's like smaller and and can't do all the same things. But they're really different players. Um, yeah. And and you're right. I think 
I think not seeing him in ACC play last year made everybody forget what a good player he was. And and then obviously he, he stepped it up this year and 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 certainly earned that the first team all ACC that he's probably going to get from wherever all those all those votes come from. No um, doubt. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So looking ahead at the NCAA tournament, you mentioned that you think that um, that Duke has already locked up the one seed without, um, you know, even even not knowing what's going to happen in the ACC tournament. Um, where do you think, is there a region you think that Duke prefers to be in or where they're going to be in? And and who are who are some of the teams that, that might be matched up with them? I'm not, I, I, I know that you haven't gotten to see as much sort of around the country um, uh, as you have, you know, the what's going on at Duke this year with with all the with all the crazy stuff that's been happening um but sort of where do you see duke fitting into the bracket uh, and and maybe some other teams that they might be looking out for that might that might they might see in the early rounds sure sure i think uh you know i i, I would suspect duke gets the one in the south region uh which would send them through houston uh you know their first at this point it's more than guaranteed that they're going to get the geographic preference for the first weekend of the tournament and open in charlotte and then, yeah, I see them being the one in the South and uh, going through Houston. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Kentucky will be the the one in the uh, the, the Midwest region that's going to go through Cleveland. Uh, then Virginia will get the one seed that goes through uh, Syracuse, though I must admit I have all my fingers and toes crossed that Virginia doesn't do anything that could jeopardize that and send it back to Syracuse. But uh, – <laughs> yeah, all kidding aside, I, I would suspect that Virginia gets the one in the East. And then, no, out West, you have teams, you know, probably Arizona with Gonzaga uh, stumbling. That'll that'll get the one seed out there in the L.A. Regional. And uh, it'll be really interesting, I think, to see, you know, kind of who gets the two uh, in Duke's in Duke's bracket. You know, could it be a team like, like Villanova uh, that's been they're kind of quietly dominant in a league that's uh, the Big East that's a little bit off people's radar? Uh you know, you have Wisconsin, who obviously I didn't mention in the mix for a for a one seed. That would be probably the toughest two, in my opinion, uh, just with all with all they offer and and Frank Kaminsky in the matchups he pre- matchup problems he presents. Uh, you know, for those people out there that think that the uh, the committee you know, does these brackets with with an eye on on TV ratings. You know, you have a team like Maryland who's had a really great year that. You know, maybe they show up in Duke's region to try to create some some intrigue before we enter the you know Final Four weekend of the season. Uh, you know, I think all I think all those teams are good. Uh, you know, Northern Iowa, Wichita State, mid majors like that that you know have solid guard play that could potentially present issues. Uh, you know, all those teams, I, I would um, I would keep an eye out and kind of see who, you know, what it looks like that Duke's going to match up with. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, if if you're a Duke fan, you would prefer a team with, you know, I think good guards and, you know, guards that can penetrate and, you know, kind of like NC State Miami had would be the matchup you didn't want to see for Duke. How, if if Duke was matched up, like if Maryland was a four seed and Duke was matched up with them in the Sweet 16, um, how quickly do you think you'd be able to finish the preview for that matchup <laughs> very quickly uh, that you know sometimes they uh they write themselves and i think that uh that would probably be one that that would in fact do that <laughs> uh yeah I, I i i remember seeing that sort of come up starting like a couple of weeks ago maryland was you know 
getting these big wins and, and climbing up and up. And it was like, what if that, you know, what if Maryland gets matched up against Duke in like a, in a marquee, like sweet 16 or elite eight situation. And I was like, Oh, I, I don't want that at all. I don't want any part of, of seeing, of seeing Maryland again, but uh, you know, the, the committee will do what the committee will do. So, um, and the ACC big 10 challenge will do what the ACC big 10 challenge and, does. And, year. and, and if, I think if Maryland had been projected to be as good as they were this year, they probably would have been matched up with Duke. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, and and next year, I are they are they bringing back Des Wells and Melo Trimble next year? I, um, I, like I think that remains to be seen. Jake Lehman is another one that could potentially oh, no longer be there. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, and uh, like I said, kind of how the. ACC Big Ten Challenge TV schedule shakes out as well. Yeah, I have no doubt that we'll that we'll get them again soon. Uh, I just want to avoid it as much as possible. Um, all right, look, that's a, a good preview for the NCAA tournament. Sort of before we see the brackets and stuff. Um, you know, we kind of we kind of brought you in here maybe a week before we wanted to, but I know that uh, next week is is going to get kind of kind of wild. There's going to be there's going to be a lot going on. Um, so we'll we'll kind of wrap with with a a different subject on Friday afternoon. Uh, and we had, we talked about this earlier a little bit um, before you came on uh, Friday afternoon, Syracuse heard from the committee on infractions uh, at the NCAA. And they, they basically got hit like in every way possible with sanctions. Um, what did you make of the NCAA's ruling? And, and what do you think it means? Cause everybody is going to ask this question. What does it mean going forward, looking at sort of the situation at North Carolina? Yeah. You know, the Syracuse case was such a bizarre thing that took really the better part of a decade to figure out and, and kind of bring to light. And, uh, you know, I think Jay Billis's reaction on ESPN uh, kind of hit the nail on the head. It's just, you know, the NCAA is just so wildly inconsistent from, uh, you know, from, from ruling to ruling. You know, everything is so arbitrary. Like the idea that the statute of limitations in the Syracuse case conveniently, you know, is about a month short of including their national title in 2003, despite the fact that, uh, you know, that their, their issues with their internal drug testing date back to 2001. You know, it's, it's just, it's so arbitrary. Um, I think trying to predict anything the NCAA is going to do is, uh, you know, kind of foolhardy and, and, and impossible just because they are so inconsistent up, down everywhere. And, you know, I think, I think Syracuse, well, I, I, I think they'll be fine, uh, you know, again, to borrow from Billis just because he is so insightful in these things. You know, I, they're still going to get good players. They, they just won't have as many scholarship guys at the end of the bench, so their depth might take a hit a little bit. But, you know, I think I think Syracuse will emerge from this just fine, uh, you know, and if Bayheim wants and, you know, still has a desire to coach, he's certainly going to do that. But, you know, if he's kind of ha- had enough at this point, then you know he'll he'll be his choice if he wants to ride off into the sunset. Do you get the sense that he has that he wants to battle through it, or or you haven't really been able to tell? I mean, the news did just come out a couple days ago. Yeah, I I, I certainly didn't get an immediate sense that this was it for him. Uh, you know, I would imagine that there, there's some level of pride, or you know, he'll he'll want to come back from the suspension and kind of not let somebody else dictate his exit so you know obviously he has a few months to think about it but i, I didn't get any immediate feel that this was for him if he left would you miss getting the chance to cover his his always insightful uh post-game interviews <laughs> um you know it, it's funny he obviously he's uh 
he's a character who tends to say what he wants. Uh, but uh, honestly, with uh, with just the way post game stuff breaks down, I don't even always get to necessarily hear the visiting coach. Like last night, uh, didn't leave the Duke locker room until Roy was walking out of the room, so didn't even get to hear you know what he had to say live. So uh, you know, it would be sad for the ACC to lose a character from a media perspective like Beheim, but. Uh, you know, I, I, as if he has gone, it's pretty obvious that his assistant, Mike Hopkins, would be the one to uh, slide in and take over there. So, all right, I think we've, I think we've, we've hit Syracuse. Um, before I let you go, one last question. Um, we, you know, we don't know what's, what Duke's going to do in the tournament yet, um, but there's always the, the April speculation of which players are coming back and which ones aren't. Uh, if you had to take a guess at this point, if you feel comfortable doing so, um, which of Duke's underclassmen do you think are returning next year? And which do you think are headed to the NBA? And you're welcome to say Grayson Allen is leaving on the heels of his performance against Wake Forest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it, I would consider it a foregone conclusion at this point that Okafor and uh, Winslow will be moving on. And, uh, you know, I, there, there are people that ask me uh, quite often, obviously on, on Twitter, what do I think is going to happen with Tyus Jones? And you know, I'm certainly not privy to any of the conversations his, family has had or anything like that and undoubtedly they will sit down with the Duke coaches at the end of the year but you know I think in terms of looking at Tyus as an NBA prospect you know he kind of is what he is you you either love what he does his poise his ability to rise to the occasion or you know you look at kind of his size and just you know lack of elite level athleticism and you say you know no thanks but but ultimately you know I I think as, as a prospect you know there isn't immediately to me um, it's not obvious how staying longer would necessarily make Tyus a better NBA prospect. So I, if, if I were a Duke fan, I would expect him to go. And then if he stays, consider it a pleasant surprise. So who's running point guard next year if he's not there? Um, well, you know, I, there's always the chance that, uh, one of these recruits could reclassify and kind of like, you know, Andre Dawkins did when it looked like Duke was going to be kind of short some, some guard depth uh, the year before he arrived on campus in a prior to the 2010 season. Um, you know, there's always graduate transfers out there, but if you're looking at, at guys that are on the roster, you know, I mean, Grayson Allen was a combo guard in high school. You might kind of see the return to the, to the unconventional point like they used when, uh, when John Shire was running point. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think if if Tyus Jones leaves, that's going to be the biggest question about you know what the makeup of the team is going to be because it's it's like there are a lot of wing players and not a lot of and not really any any real point guards left. But like you said, sure. they've uh, they've done it before with John Shire, who wasn't supposed to be a point guard, and then and then you know they've molded the offense around him and made him one of the best point guards in the country. You know, not necessarily by traditional you know eye test, but but the way that he facilitated. So um, the coaching staff is certainly creative enough to, to figure something like that out if, if the challenge is presented. Um, so I think that's, that's all we had for you. Um, Laura Keeley, thank you for joining us on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Um, where, where can everybody find your work just to make sure we're, we're following up with you? Sure. You know, if you just go to newsobserver.com slash sports, there's inevitably always Duke stuff uh near the top and um you know i'm also on twitter just uh at laura keely and um pretty like you said pretty easy to find on uh, on social media and online cool uh thanks
Thanks for thank you again for joining us, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you again in the off season. Sounds great. So that was Laura Keeley. Um, she she answered all of our questions well. We're we're glad that she was able to join us. Um, as we mentioned, Jason is not is no longer with us, but but Donald is still here with me. So Donald, what are what are your reactions? What are some of the most interesting things that Laura brought up uh, about all the topics we discussed? Well, she gave you know some great answers to uh, you know the questions of of the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. One thing that stuck out to me is how she said uh, that NC State was more equipped to beat Duke and the better team, but that it could be a better tune-up to play NC State in the quarterfinals uh, to, you know, kind of set Duke up for the rest of the tournament as opposed to playing Pitt. It doesn't really match up. You know, we have a good feel for them, and NC State would be a, a tougher opponent to kind of prepare us for the semifinals and the finals. I thought that was a pretty interesting point that I kind of never – looked at really closely. Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, the, the part about uh, Marcus Page um, being one of the surprises uh, of the ACC this season, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, we were told that he was the first team All-American player that he was supposed to be. And uh, he really hasn't been, and, and UNC has really been up and down as a result. When he plays well, they, th- they tend to play well. When, they, when he suffers, then the team is really off kilter. And uh, uh, I mean, last night was kind of an aberration. He still scored 23 points. I uh, had a really good game, and, and, and the team still lost. But I, I see that that's going to be their kind of ebb and flow, and has been that way the entire season. Yeah, I agree. He, uh, we, we were told that he was going to be all everything this year. And, and I think, as Jason has liked to point out uh, before on the podcast, that Bryce Johnson's really UNC's best player this season, and it's not Marcus Page. Um, mm-hmm. And that may be why it doesn't seem like they've lived up to their up to their potential you know they've played really well um but maybe not as as well as we thought they were going to be um so yeah i i agree with that i also would have maybe looked at montrez harrell and said montrez harrell's having a really good year um but everyone thought that he was going to be you know all over the place for louisville and that and that no one was going to be able to score on them in the paint and he was going to you know make shots from outside and all kinds of stuff i feel like he got a lot of hype um that Again, he's still a very solid player, but I don't feel like he ascended to that next level um, the way that a lot of national college basketball people thought was going to happen. Um, right. I liked that. I I I liked. I think I think my favorite thing that she touched on was the advanced maturity of Tyus Jones and Jaleel Okafor. Because um, obviously, going into season, you know, Duke's had a lot of these one and done players the last few years: Austin Rivers, Kyrie Irving. Um, Jabari Parker most recently and you know while while the talent is always there I think that the maturity and the focus um, more so for Parker and and Rivers than for Irving um, has kind of been up and down and, and maybe it's just because we didn't get to see Kyrie play in, in the ACC um, but I, I agree with her that that Tyus and Jaleel have been so poised and so mature you know through all of the the really tough games and Duke has played a lot of thrilling games this season uh, Tyus Jones is obvious has maybe been like you know the the most ice cold player on the team this season, and, and that that has been a surprise to me. Yeah, it's it's really been surprising. And another thing that she pointed out that I thought was uh, pretty interesting was her uh, her. I, I know she said she's not doing a all ACC vote this year, um, but uh, her listing of Brogdon as one of her probably top five players in the conference, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And she pointed out correctly that you know because of how UVA plays, their stat sheet isn't really going to be the best when you look at 
other guards or other players from around the, the conference. Um, but listing, you know, listing Brogdon on there, uh, I, I probably would have gone with Anderson, um, even with the injury. But uh, Brogdon is, is a you know pretty fine choice and kind of representative of the fact that Virginia has the best team in the conference and and played the best of any team this year. But you know because of the stats they could you know possibly not get uh, statistically you know a player on the, on one of these all ACC lists, and I, I think that's kind of good that she recognized that. Yeah, I the one thing I I should have asked her that I I neglected to put on my on my little list was sort of what UVA's outlook is with Justin Anderson having the appendectomy and and coming back from uh what did he have a broken hand or something before the mm-hmm. before the appendectomy I I I wanted to know what she thought about um about what UVA's you know NCAA outlook is going forward um she may have seen them enough uh, I I thought it was funny that that she said that there. Um, there's been so much going on with Duke this year that she hasn't even really gotten to watch other teams because every week there's, there's a new you know, news story just about Duke basketball that she's had to follow up on. Um, it, you know, I, I think there's maybe some expectation that a, that a beat writer of a prominent team would at least see a little bit of, of the other, of the other like, you know, big, big programs. Um, but that just wasn't a reasonable expectation for her this year because there's been so much you know, circling around the Duke program. Yeah, it's, it's kind of been like a reality show, and each week is a different episode, kind of like kind of like this podcast. You know, we we've been talking about different aspects of this Duke season every week, and every week is kind of a new twist. And even with the rest of the ACC, it's kind of hard for us to touch on some of these big stories. Like she, you know, we we got to mention Syracuse. Um, you know, it's kind of hard for us to touch on these because there's so much going on with our team that it's hard to kind of look out from you know you know amongst the trees to, to see the forest. All right, so right before we go then, um, we got Jason's and Laura's reaction on, on Syracuse. What did you think? So I think that the, the big takeaway is the vacated wins. Uh, I know the, the scholarships is one, is one thing, the suspension is another, but the vacated wins uh, is something that if I were a UNC fan, I'd be extremely worried about because not just of uh, the fact that they were vacating any wins where there's an eligible player – how far back the UNC scandal goes, how many wins does that affect? How many championships does that affect? I think that's going to be something to really look at um, as we move forward, with, with, as the NCAA moves forward. And if I were a UNC fan, I'd be really, really worried about that. Um, also to note, um, I'm not sure that Coach K wanted it to be this way, but he is now the you know all-time leader in wins at one school because of all this. So I think that's probably the last major record in the wins column that he uh didn't have um uh, and Beheim kind of with his uh, about 150 or so wins taken away uh that is now K's to own probably for a very long time because I don't see anybody staying at a college for you know 30 40 years to even approach uh coach K levels when it comes to wins at one school well I think he still has Pat Summit to catch right uh, if if people he want to quibble about yes. Division One Division One basketball coaches, um, and I know that that's always a a a going nowhere debate about whether whether you want to put Pat Summit and Mike Krzyzewski sort of in the same pot, um, right? Yeah, and, if, I, and if you put that, he's probably got a, a season a season and a half uh, before we're we're at that level as well. So yeah, um, I I like that you brought up the wins thing um, as far as as far as you know looking at North Carolina. You know the Syracuse thing is as 
Laura mentioned, kind of goes back to 01. So they sort of brought the timeline up a little bit and let Syracuse keep their national championship, but it was sort of questionable, you know, but looking over the full timeline of when all of the various issues were going on, they only lopped out like 15 or 20% of the timeline. If, if the NCAA is looking at the full scope of the UNC scandal, you know, they won that national championship in 93. I don't think that's going anywhere, even though, even though, you know, the, reports have said that the thing started in the early 90s um but unc has two more recent national championships 2005 and 2009 uh and it'll be very interesting to see and obviously they have other national championships you know if if the ncaa took away syracuse's it it leaves a much bigger hole in the rafters at the carrier dome um so i'm i'm curious to see kind of how those two relate but as laura mentioned uh the ncaa is unpredictable and and as Jay Billis likes to point out, they they aren't necessarily consistent with their punishments. So ultimately, we have no idea. Um, so I, yeah, I think that's gonna, it'll be good to interesting thing. I think that's going to wrap it for this week. Did you have anything else to add about Duke NCAA tournament, ACC, whatever? Anything else going on? No, it's the best month in, in, in college sports. So uh, I'm looking forward to it all. I know you are too. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, we uh, we went very long this week because we had what we thought was a lot of good content. We hope that you all out there enjoyed it too. Uh, we will catch you next week. As we mentioned, we'll, we'll do an episode after the brackets come out so we can take a look at, at what's going on with Duke and, and where they fit in. Um, but for Donald Wine, for Jason Evans, uh, I'm Sam Klein. This has been the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And uh, once again, we want to thank Laura Keeley from the News and Observer for joining us. Check out uh, her work and we will see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.